From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Sui with you on this Thursday, December 7th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, Chinese President Xi Jinping meets EU leaders in Beijing. Israel says it's encircled the house of top Hamas leader. Scientists say climate threats to humanity are drawing closer. In business, China's foreign trade up 1.2% in November. In sports, Man United beats Chelsea in a heavy Premier League battle. In culture and entertainment, stamps and collectibles have been issued ahead of the Chinese New Year. Now today's top stories. Chinese President Xi Jinping says China and the European Union should steer clear of various kinds of interference and step up dialogue and cooperation. He made a comment during a meeting with European Council President Charles Michel and European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen in Beijing on Thursday. Yu Yang tells us more. It's actually the first face-to-face -face meeting between Chinese and European leaders in four years. Chinese President Xi Jinping met with the President of the European Council, Charles Michel, and the head of the European Commission, who is Ursula von der Leyen. Well, she said he welcomes President Michel and von der Leyen to China and for the 24th China-EU Leaders' Summit. And actually, since the end of last year, the two presidents have visited China and the China-EU high-level dialogues in the fields of strategy, economy and trade, of course, grain and digital, have achieved a rich resource. Uh, with China-EU relations showing a good momentum of consolidation and development. And she said this is in line with the interests of both sides and the expectations of the peoples. Well, the two sides should work together to maintain the momentum of the China-EU relations. 
Actually, this is the second time for von der Leyen's visit to China this year, and joining her is EU Foreign Policy Chief Joseph Borrell, who has also paid a visit to China just this October. So earlier we had talked to Professor Cui Hongjie, who is at Beijing Foreign Studies University. He said that trade is at the foundation of China-EU ties, and this is actually backed by figures from Eurostat, which show the value of European imports from China nearly doubling between 2018 and 2022. And during the first half of 2023, China also remained the leading supplier of goods to the EU. Well, actually, trade between the two reached nearly 850 billion US dollars last year, a 2.4% year-on-year. And the China-EU Railway Express under the Belt and Road Initiative is, of course, driving the trade. But we have seen some challenges persist in bilateral trade cooperation. For example, chief among this is the European Commission's anti-subsidy investigation into Chinese electric vehicles, which is actually casting a shadow over the emerging sector. Well, earlier we have heard the Chinese foreign ministry said properly settling differences through dialogue is an important experience for the development of China-EU ties. On the bright side, China recently issued a new visa-free policy, effective from December, which allows travelers from five European countries, along with Malaysia, to stay for up to 15 days in China. This move has received widespread approval from the European side, with many experts predicting a significant boost in people-to-people -people exchanges. And more and more European officials have visited China this year. Those include the French President Emmanuel Macron and German Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock. The Presidents of European Union Chamber of Commerce in China China, we have interviewed earlier and said this signals Europe lays stress on its relationship with the country. That was Yu Yang in Beijing. Like Yu Yang just mentioned in her report, China has adopted a pilot visa-free policy for France, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Spain and Malaysia starting December the 1st. Holders of ordinary passports from these countries can enter China visa-free for business, tourism, visiting relatives and friends and transit for up to 15 days. Alice Lavis, a French associate professor at Renmin University of China, has welcomed the move, saying it'll enhance cultural understanding between China and the EU. I think very efficient. Why? Because uh, we need to know each other for real. The problem is that just exchanging information, goods, capitals, and so on, it's too abstract. And we are human beings and we need experience. So it's very important for European people to see China for real, to meet Chinese people. That must be easy to do. And with that, we are able to realize each other and to see real things and to know real people. That's very essential. Of course, we've got something like a complex a complexity or a problem. Why? Because Europe is not a country. Europe is not a nation. and. European Union is not Europe. That is to say, European Union is a political organization. And so sometimes it's difficult to have something like one-to-one -one relationships because you need to open relationships with French people, with English people, with Italian, and so on, and so on, and so on. So I think uh, it will take time. But nevertheless, I think it's the future. That was Alice Lavis, a French scholar at Renmin University in Beijing. The world's largest shipping exhibition, Marintech China 2023, is currently underway in Shanghai. Over 2,000 companies from 30 countries are participating in this four-day event. As a major shipping nation, Denmark has sent the largest delegation to the event. Wubin sits down with Morten Bedeskov, Denmark's Minister for Industry, Business and Financial Affairs, to discuss China and Denmark's joint commitment to achieving a zero-carbon future.
China plays a important role in in the global economy. It plays a a, a central role when it comes to uh, global agenda and global shipping. And I think that uh, why not? Uh, two great shipping nations could uh, find each other and uh, go together for the uh, for the high global targets that has been set, uh, reaching uh, net zero for shipping industry uh, by 2050. As one of the largest shipping nations globally, can you tell us about Denmark's participation of Marintech China 2023 and what kind of cooperation will they be seeking uh, with their Chinese counterparts? And as Denmark, China is also a strong and proud uh, shipping nation, so I find it uh, naturally to be here uh, and, and extremely important that we uh, find ways to strengthen our cooperation in reaching uh, the targets that have been set uh, in the IMO agreement, for example, uh, and overall, uh, see if we can find ways to, to work uh, closer together, uh, company by company, uh, developing uh, new technologies together, uh, finding in common uh, the way towards a more sustainable future also within uh, shipping. That was Wu Bin speaking to Danish Minister Morten Baderskov. Coming up, Israel says it's circle the house of top Hamas leader. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platforms and get ready to dive in. It's eight minutes past the hour. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says the nation's military has encircled the house of top Hamas leader Yahya Sinwar. The IDF says it's encircled the city Han Yunis in southern Gaza as fierce ground combat continues. The military also says it's still operating in the north, finding a cache of weapons near a school complex. Sarah Coates reports from Tel Aviv. We have heard from the IDF over the last few hours. It says... They've killed at least four senior Hamas commanders, also destroying around 250 Hamas targets. Like from the spokesperson, the government spokesperson, Elon Levy, he said that the army believes that Hamas's Khan Yunus battalion was actually one of the key battalions responsible for those October 7 atrocities in southern Israel. And this is why that area is just being so heavily targeted. Now, we've also heard from the military that it is still operating in the north of Gaza. Uh, the military releasing pictures of what it says is a weapons storage facility, which was near a school and also a mosque. The military says it had rocket launchers, rockets, of course, sniper rifles and other explosive devices hidden in it. Now, the military's also given an update on the number of hostages that are still being held inside the Gaza Strip. That's gone up over the last day from 137 to 138, with the IDF pleading with the international community to step in and do something to get these people back. That was Sarah Coates reporting. A spokesperson for Gaza's health ministry has accused Israel of deliberately destroying the healthcare facilities in northern Gaza. The spokesperson says around 800,000 residents in the north don't have health services. Israel has conducted military operations in and around hospitals, saying Hamas hides fighters and command centers in them. Hamas has repeatedly denied the claim. 
Yemen's Houthi group says it's launched several ballistic missiles at military posts in Israel's southern city of Eilat. This is the 13th attack claimed by the group against Israeli targets since the fighting between Israel and Hamas broke out on October the 7th. The group on Sunday claimed drone and missile attacks on two Israeli vessels in the southern Red Sea. A Houthi military spokesperson says the group will continue to carry out military operations against Israel and prevent Israeli ships from navigating the Arab and Red Seas. The chief of the United Nations is urging the Security Council to call for a humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. Antonio Guterres says the need is urgent given the scale of the loss of human life in Gaza and Israel. He's also made a rare move to invoke Article 99 of the UN Charter for the first time since it became Secretary General in 2017. Jody Jacobs reports from the United Nations. This is the first time that Antonio Guterres has invoked Article 99 of the UN Charter since becoming Secretary General in 2017. Article 99 states that the Secretary General may bring to the attention of the Security Council any matter which in his opinion may threaten the maintenance of international peace and security. In the letter addressed to the President of the Security Council, Guterres says, We are facing a severe risk of collapse of the humanitarian system. I reiterate my appeal for a humanitarian ceasefire. This is urgent. The capacity of the UN has been decimated. Anwar colleagues have been killed. We are simply unable to reach those in need inside Gaza. The healthcare system in Gaza is collapsing. During the midday briefing at the United Nations on Wednesday, the spokesperson for the Secretary General reiterated the need for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire. Our friends at the World Food Program in a statement have said that the renewed fighting in Gaza makes a distribution of aid almost impossible and endangers the lives of humanitarian workers. Only a lasting peace can end the suffering and avert a looming humanitarian crisis. We're getting to a point of near paralysis of our humanitarian operations in a place where 15,000 people have reportedly already uh, died, where 130 of our colleagues have died. Um, he does not use the word catastrophe lightly, um, and we very much hope uh, that the Security Council will take his, uh, his call to heed. Invoking Article 99 is a powerful move according to the UN Secretariat and represents a harder push for a humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. This move by the Secretary General will push the Council to call for another meeting on the conflict between Hamas and Israel. And while the Secretary General has little formal authority, his words do have influence. That was Jody Jacobs reporting. U.S. Republican senators have blocked a White House request for $106 billion U.S. billion in emergency aid, primarily for Ukraine and Israel. This happened as Republicans passed demands for tougher measures to control immigration at the U.S. border with Mexico. Wednesday's vote was 49 in favor to 51 against, falling short of the 60 votes needed. The vote marked a significant defeat for President Joe Biden. Earlier in the day, he had pleaded with Congress to found Ukraine against Russia. Also on Wednesday, U.S. and Ukrainian government representatives signed agreement to speed weapons co-production and data sharing at a conference in Washington. Ukraine has reported more than 80 recent frontline clashes between its army and Russian troops. Russia's defense ministry said launched multiple attacks on Ukrainian military targets, including drone command posts, weapons and ammunition storehouses at oil depot. 
The Ukrainian president's chief of staff said Ukraine may lose its fight against Russia without U.S. aid. Magumi Lem in Kiev has more. Russia launched 48 uh, attack drones against uh, Ukraine overnight, and uh, the Ukrainian Air Force said that it shot down 41 out of the 48. And Russia, although has uh, frequently been using these Iranian-made Shahid drones, these uh, use of attack drones have increased more and more recently. They are cheaper, and also the ability to launch dozens of them all at once uh, helps Russia to determine the weak spots in Ukraine's air defense systems. And these attacks overnight came ahead of Ukraine's Armed Forces Day, which is today where Ukrainians celebrate and honor uh, their soldiers and those who have fallen in the war. And President Zelensky this morning uh, published an early morning video address where he walked from his office uh, to the Wall of Remembrance and issued a message of uh, gratitude to the soldiers and said that it has been difficult indeed on the battlefield, but we will uh, win against all odds. And uh, this message also comes ahead of the presidential office, Andrei Yermak's visit to Washington as he is trying to shore up more support from the United States to get more funding from the U.S. Congress as it has struggled uh, to pass more uh, funding for Ukraine in recent months. President Zelensky also attended virtually uh, and G7 countries uh, basically want to send a strong signal of support for Ukraine that it continues to stand with Ukraine, especially amid uh, concerns that global attention may have shifted away from Ukraine ever since the conflict between Israel and, and Hamas erupted on October uh, 7th. Uh, G7 countries uh, are trying to limit uh, Russia from earning uh, revenues from its trade in metals and diamonds, especially diamonds. Russia is a, a, the world's biggest exporter of rough diamonds. And also uh, to try to implement more strongly the price cap on Russian oil, which has uh, weakened in, in, in recent months. And for example, the United States just recently announced that it will impose sanctions uh, on those who violate this price cap. So basically, the discussions focus on how to continue to try to cripple Russia's ability test. And just last week, Putin signed a new budget into law uh, saying that uh, the country's uh, one third of the country's spending uh, will be spent on uh, national defense. So this is a huge concern for Ukraine. That was Megumi Lim reporting. China's deputy permanent representative to the UN has reiterated China's stance over the ongoing Russia-Ukraine conflict. Geng Shuang called for a political settlement during a Security Council meeting on Wednesday. China's position on the issue of Ukraine remains unchanged. We have always stood on the side of peace and dialogue, and have always been committed to promoting peace talks to achieve a ceasefire and end the conflict as soon as possible. There is no winner in any conflict or war. We call on all sides to adopt a calm and pragmatic stance, intensify their efforts to achieve peace, and cease fighting as soon as possible. China will continue to work with all parties and make tireless efforts to push for a political settlement. Gun also voiced concerns of civilian sufferings and called for increased humanitarian aids. He said a prolonged and complicated Ukrainian crisis is not in the interests of either side. Coming up, scientists say climate threats to humanity are drawing closer. The world is about to change. Warriors, assassins, fair maidens, court officials, and even emperors and heavenly immortals are nothing but pawns on a giant chessboard. Xu Fengnian, a playboy of national notoriety and heir to the empire's second most powerful man, 
finds himself embroiled in the depths of unbeatable game. CGTN Radio invites you to immerse in a world brimming with heroism and follow a young man's odyssey in the audio drama series, The Sword Strider Saga. Now available on radio.cgtn.com and all the major podcast platforms. When courage meets wisdom, the sword scribes an immortal legend. It's 18 minutes past the hour. Over to the ongoing COP28 summit in Dubai. On Wednesday, a team of 200 international scientists released a global tipping point report. It warns many of the gravest threats to humanity are drawing closer as carbon pollution continues to warm up the planet. Rudika Bajaj has more. The impact of the Global Tipping Point report is being uh, felt very strongly here in COP28, given that it comes on a day when the European uh, Climate Agency has also said uh, and has confirmed rather that 2023 will be the hottest year that this planet has ever seen. Uh, the European Climate Agency says that November was the sixth consecutive month where uh, average uh, temperatures uh, records were broken and that there were also two days in the month which were warmer by two degrees Celsius than pre-industrial levels and that not one such day had ever been recorded before. Onto the report, it carries a lot of weight. It has been produced by over 200 international scientists and they say that the world is going to see five tipping points which will have catastrophic impact on the environment and on our planet. The tipping points at risk include the collapse of big ice sheets in Greenland and the West Antarctic, the widespread thawing of permafrost, the death of coral reefs in warmer waters and the collapse of one oceanic current in the North Atlantic. And in terms of uh, the recommendation uh, that the report gives, the first one, of course, is a complete phase out of all fossil fuels by 2050. And uh, it also says that uh, worldwide ecological restoration is also needed and that countries should reassess their highest possible ambitions accordingly, particularly particularly wealthy, high-emitting nations. The second recommendation has to do with the strengthening adaptation and loss and damage governance. The report says uh, that the impact of the tipping points will be felt the most by the most vulnerable nations and uh, communities, and there will be knock-off impacts on uh, global inequality, stability of the world economy, as well as geopolitics. And to tie in those recommendations with what happened on ground uh, on Wednesday at COP28, the UN climate chief uh, Simon Stile holding a press conference where he said uh, that uh, uh, countries should uh, prevent uh, point scoring during negotiations. He said that there are uh, many options uh, that are on the table right now which speak of uh, the phasing out of uh, fossil fuels. It is for parties to unpick that but come up with very clear statements that signal a terminal decline of the fossil fuel era as we know it. So the commentary uh, is of course leaning towards a stronger language around the phasing out of fossil fuels but of course uh, there will be parties that will be opposed to that but the needle uh, may be ticking towards sharp language uh, of phasing out of fossil fuels. There was Radhika Bajaj reporting. Humanitarian aid groups say 1.7 million people in Somalia are in need of help following catastrophic flooding that's been wreaking havoc through parts of East Africa for several weeks. The disaster has displaced more than a million people in the country and killed over 100. 
Many families have not been able to leave the central town of Baladawini, one of the hardest hit. Country director Kevin Mackey of the humanitarian agency World Vision Somalia recently visited a flooded region. Mud is everywhere, water is everywhere, and getting access to clean, safe drinking water, getting relief and aid supplies into locations like this, first via boat, then across fields of mud to reach communities is very difficult. Some families are sleeping outdoors despite health warnings about waterborne diseases. The Horn of Africa is one of the regions most vulnerable to climate change. Meteorologists predict that El Nino weather phenomenon may bring more rain and flooding to the region. Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro says two state-owned enterprises will be allowed to exploit energy resources in a disputed territory with neighboring Guyana. Maduro says an oil company and a mining company will create subsidiaries in El Esequibo, of which Venezuela and Guyana both claim ownership. PDVSA, CBG. PDVSA and CVG will immediately proceed to create their respective divisions in Esequibo, and we will immediately proceed to grant the operating licenses for the exploration and exploitation of oil, gas and mines in the entire area. The announcement came after Venezuelans voted by a wide margin Sunday to approve the takeover of the oil-rich region from Guyana. Guyana has denounced the vote as a pretext for annexing the land and has appealed to the top court of the UN. The International Court of Justice has ordered Venezuela not to take any action to change the status quo until the panel can rule on the two countries' competing claims. U.N. Secretary-General Antonio Guterres has called for the peaceful settlement of the territorial dispute. Venezuela has long considered the El Acasquibo was stolen when a north-south border was drawn over a century ago. International arbitrators granted a territory to then-British Guyana in 1899. U.S. President Joe Biden says the administration is working to heal the wrongs of the past concerning Native Americans. He made remarks at this year's White House Tribal Nation Summit. Now we usher in a new era of relationship between our government and nation-to-nation relationships. We've made progress, but we know indigenous communities still live in the shadows of the failed policies of the past. That's why, that's why I committed to working with you to write a new and better chapter in American history for Indian nations. Biden signed executive order to make it easier for indigenous people to access federal funding and have greater autonomy over how to spend it. It partly creates a clearinghouse for Native American and Alaska Native tribes to find and access grants and request that federal agencies ensure that funding is accessible and equitable. Biden says the move aims to help rebuild tribal economies. It's hard work to heal the wrongs of the past and change the course and move forward. But the actions we're taking today are key steps into that new era of tribal sovereignty and self-determination. A new era grounded in dignity and respect that recognizes your fundamental rights to govern and grow on your own terms. The president also expressed his support for allowing the indigenous Haudenosaunee Confederacy to compete under its own flag in lacrosse, a sport they invented during the 2028 Los Angeles Olympics. 
The British Museum has lent Athens an ancient Greek vase and seven other artifacts for an exhibition at Acropolis Museum. This marks the first time the vase has left the British Museum in 250 years. The move comes after a diplomatic row between Britain and Greece over the Parthenon sculptures. Well, Athens has long called for the return of the sculptures. The British Museum insists on ownership acknowledgement. Acropolis Museum director Nicholas Stampodlidis says lonely artifacts for an exhibition is completely different from the reunification of the Parthenon sculptures. We expect that at the end, the marbles or the uh, sculptures, as you prefer, will come back and be reunited here in this temple. Of beauty and harmony, the Museum of、uh, Acropolis. The vase will later travel to Louvre Museum in Paris in 2024 for an exhibition. The deepest and largest underground lab in the world is now operational in China. The deep underground and ultra-low radiation background facility for frontier physics experiments is located beneath a mountain in Sichuan Province. Scientists say the 2,400-meter-deep physics lab provides a clean space for them to pursue the invisible substance known as dark matter. They say the extreme depth helps block most cosmic rays that mess with the observation. The lab is expected to become a world-class interdisciplinary deep underground scientific research center, integrating multiple disciplines including particle physics, nuclear astrophysics, and life sciences. Iran has launched a capsule into space for bioscience research as it prepares for sending astronauts to space. Officials say the capsule was put into an orbit 130 kilometers above the surface of the Earth. Media reports say the 500-kilogram capsule carries living creatures. The project comes in line with Iran's objective of manned space mission in the coming years. And now let's check the weather. Beijing is clear overnight with a low of minus one. Tomorrow will be sunny with a high of twelve. Chongqing is nine this evening. Tomorrow cloudy with a high of nineteen. Lhasa is minus three overnight. Tomorrow overcast and nine. Hong Kong is eighteen tonight. It will be cloudy tomorrow and twenty-four. Elsewhere, Tokyo is seven overnight, clear and seventeen on Friday. Islamabad will be overcast and seven tonight. Tomorrow sunny and twenty. Bangkok is twenty-five overnight, then cloudy and thirty-three on Friday. In Africa, Nairobi will see slight rain with a high of 26 tomorrow. Finally, to Oceania, Sydney is 20 this evening. Tomorrow, overcast and 29. Time for a short break. So far this hour, Chinese President Xi Jinping meets EU leaders in Beijing. Israel says it's encircled the house of top Hamas leader. Scientists say climate threats to humanity are drawing closer. Sui with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you are a rookie, 你好，我的中文一点点 ，or a sophisticated learner, 我来北京五年了，我是本地人 ，there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好。Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Sui with you on the Thursday. Still to come in business, China's foreign trade up 1.2 percent in November. 
In sports, Man United beats Chelsea in a heavy Premier League battle. In culture and entertainment, stamps and collectibles have been issued ahead of the Chinese New Year. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. But first, today's headlines. Here is Zhu Tianlu. Thank you, Sui. Chinese President Xi Jinping says relations between China and the European Union are crucial for world peace and prosperity. The Chinese leader made remarks during a meeting with European Council President Charles Michel and EU Commission Chief Ursula von der Leyen, who are in Beijing for the 24th China-EU summit. President Xi spoke highly of the rich results of the China-EU dialogue, expressing his hope for the continued momentum of positive relations. He stressed China and the EU are at a new starting point for relations with a comprehensive strategic partnership reaching the 20-year benchmark. Chinese President Xi Jinping will pay a state visit to Vietnam next week on Tuesday and Wednesday. The Chinese Foreign Ministry says President Xi will hold separate meetings with senior Vietnamese leaders, including General Secretary Nguyen Phu Trung of the Communist Party of Vietnam and Vietnamese President Vo Van Thong. A ministry spokesperson says both sides will discuss the new direction for bilateral ties, focusing on such areas as politics, security, pragmatic cooperation and maritime issues. The Singaporean Foreign Ministry says Singapore and China will put in place a 30-day mutual visa-free agreement early next year. Singapore's Deputy Prime Minister Lawrence Wan, currently on an official visit to China, says the agreement will promote more personnel exchanges and strengthen bilateral relations. China resumed 15-day visa-free entry for citizens of Singapore in July this year. The UN High Commissioner for Human Rights says the current conflicts and crises around the world should be a wake-up call for the international community. Wilker Turk made the remarks ahead of Human Rights Day, which falls on Sunday. He warns of the cynical disregard for human rights and the failure to respect and heed them. The official has called for a ceasefire in Gaza, saying the crisis is foreseeable and preventable. A high-level event marking the 75th anniversary of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights will be held next week. The European Union Climate Commissioner says the COP28 UN Climate Summit in Dubai must produce a final agreement that marks the beginning of the end for fossil fuels. Wilb Hoekstra says all 27 EU members want the deal to be part of the negotiated outcome. He says there is still a lot of work ahead as the negotiators seek to reach a deal aimed at saving the goal of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. COP28 is the moment to take stock of the Paris Agreement, and the science is crystal clear. I've repeatedly said it, um, and I'm going to repeat it here. We have no alternative than to follow what scientists tell us. And they're telling us we're simply not on track. UN Climate Chief Simon Steele has told countries that the COP28 climate talks that, ne- that they need to stop posturing, aim high and agree on a way to end the fossil fuel era. Russian President Vladimir Putin has paid a visit to the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia to boost bilateral ties and discuss regional issues. During his meeting with UAE President Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nahyan in Abu Dhabi, the two sides explored prospects to improve their strategic partnership. They also stressed the need for international action to reach a ceasefire in the Gaza Strip and protect civilians. 
Concerning the Ukraine crisis, the UAE president emphasized that his country was committed to resolving conflicts worldwide through diplomacy and dialogue. When Putin met with Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman in Riyadh, the two sides committed to working together on the stability in the Middle East. They also agreed to further cooperate on energy, trade and investment. Former UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson has admitted that his his government was too slow to grasp the extent of the COVID-19 crisis, but skirted questions on whether his indecisiveness cost thousands of lives. Inevitably, in the course of trying to handle a very, very difficult pandemic in which we had to balance appalling harms on either side of the the decision, uh, we may have, have made mistakes. But Johnson also emphasised a collective failure rather than his own errors. I was not being informed that this was something that was going to um, require urgent and immediate action. Claimed that they were doing their best at the time in handling the pandemic. Former Peruvian President Alberto Fujimori has been released from prison. This comes after the country's highest court ruled in favour of an appeal to restore a pardon for the 85-year-old on humanitarian grounds. Fujimori served as the Peruvian president from 1990 to 2000. He was sentenced to 25 years in prison in 2009 on charges of human rights abuses. Then-President Pedro Pablo Kuczynski granted Fujimori a medical pardon in 2017, but the Supreme Court annulled the pardon a year later. Thank you very much. That was Zhu Tianlu. This is Sui in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's foreign trade up 1.2% in November. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. It's 37 minutes past the hour. Turning to business, here is still Hongyu. Thank you, Sui. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland closed lower on Thursday. Timothy Pope has more. China's A share market remained a little bit tepid today. Uh, that's despite news of November's export growth. Uh, those figures were a big turnaround from October and they did beat most estimates but didn't prompt a turnaround for the stock markets. The uh, Shanghai Composite closed less than a tenth of 1% lower, uh, seemingly stuck below that uh, key 3,000 point level. Likewise, the Shenzhen component remains below its psychologically important 10,000 point mark. Uh, the Chinese Ministry of Finance's announcement late yesterday of draft rules that would allow the huge uh, National Social Security Fund some more leeway in its stock market investments uh, and allow it to invest uh, a bit more in stock futures would have uh, or perhaps should have given a boost to sentiment. Uh, the pension fund has more than 400 billion US dollars worth of assets under management and the changes uh, would allow it to allocate as much as 40% of that to stocks. But these are still just proposals open to the markets for feedback until early January. Uh, perhaps moving the markets a little bit more today was ratings agency Moody's uh, uh, cut either cut the outlook for or put a downgrade warning on more Chinese state-owned companies, including banks and insurers, late yesterday. But uh, at least in the case of banks and insurers, mainland investors didn't seem too concerned. We saw ICBC, Agricultural Bank of China and Bank of China all rising uh, a bit more than half of 1% uh, each. Uh, Many insurance firms uh, were rising too, uh, including the People's Insurance Company of China and uh, China Life Insurance. 
That was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index dropped around 0.7 percent. In Japan, the Nikkei was down 1.7 percent. China's foreign trade jumped 1.2 percent in November. Last month, the country's foreign trade stood at 3.7 trillion yuan, or around 520 billion U.S. dollars. Exports grew 1.7 percent to 2.1 trillion yuan, while imports edged up 0.6 percent to 1.6 trillion yuan. In the first 11 months, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations remained China's largest trade partner, accounting for over 15 percent of the country's total trade value. China's trade with the European Union eased over 2 percent from a year earlier, while its trade with the United States declined nearly 7 percent. Its trade with Belt and Road Initiative participating countries rose 2.6 percent. Experts say that trade between China and Europe is likely to increase in the future. One big driver is the China-Europe freight train service, a network connecting countries and continents. Yang Jinghao has more. At the Xi'an International Port, the Chang'an China-Europe freight train settled for the very first time in November 2013. Over the past decade, the service has completed over 20,000 trips, and the transport route has grown from 1 to 17. The operator says there have been continuous improvements in transport efficiency and an increasingly diverse range of goods. Initially, it took 15 to 18 days to reach Germany. Now it's been reduced to about 10 days. And in terms of safety, our freight trains are almost 100% safe and reliable. This has won the trust from a growing number of clients from both home and abroad. Xi'an is one of the five hub cities for the China-Europe Railway Express. Currently, the express connects more than 200 cities in 25 European countries. Data from China's railway department on Tuesday shows that from January to November, the cross-border service handled more than 16,000 trips, transporting more than 1.7 million TEUs of goods. The volume already exceeds the total demand for last year. Overseas operators say they're optimistic about the freight service future. We will uh, do everything that the railway stay um, uh, competitive in terms of rates, in terms of transit time, and、um, in terms of、uh, quality service. So the industry、um, will still search for such a solution and bring their goods by railway、uh, between uh, all uh, countries on the Eurasian corridor. The country's top economic planners also proposed concrete ideas to accelerate the high-quality development of the express. We will jointly promote the informatization, digitalization, and intelligent construction of the express, and actively explore and develop new models such as trains for people-to-people exchanges and tourism. The official says more environmentally friendly technologies will also be applied to the route. Paving the way for greener travel. That was Yang Jinghao reporting. The China-Laos railway has transported over a hundred thousand cross-border passengers. The railway began operations at the end of 2021 and is a landmark project of Belt and Road Cooperation. The railway connects Kunming in China with Vientiane in Laos. It's become a preferred transportation for a growing number of international travelers due to its affordability, convenience, and comfort. 
Zhengzhou in Henan Province is hosting the World 5G Convention. Government officials, academicians, and representatives from 5G entities have gathered to shape the future of this cutting-edge technology. Zhou Yixing has more. Experts emphasize the key role of digital technology and the digital economy as global growth engines. They say 5G's present phase is crucial for building upon past achievements and paving the way for 6G technology. But before 6G is commercialized, they note that 5G-A will offer a considerable upgrade. In the era of 5G-A, more powerful network capabilities will bring greater bandwidth, lower latency, stronger reliability, higher positioning accuracy, and more for individual customers and industries. It will help the development of intelligence, digitalization, and low carbonization in various industries. Attendees also highlight 5G's deep integration into production applications, shifting from serving enterprises to reshaping entire processes. The 5G Plus Smart Coal Mine Project, a collaboration between China Mobile and China Pingmei Shenma Group, is only one example of 5G's transformative impact on industries. The core of this project revolves around 5G. We've developed application innovations in four major scenarios. Among them, we use 5G technology in remote mining, which enables remote control above ground and remote excavations underground, avoiding the dangers of operating in the latter. 5G support greatly helps to reduce the number of people working underground. The exhibition is also showcasing diverse 5G applications, from smart finance and transportation to mining and medical care, illustrating the technology's impact on society and life as a whole. That was Zhou Yixin on the World 5G Convention in Zhengzhou. China has released a list of the first batch of pilot cities that will aim to peak carbon dioxide emissions. The 25 pilot cities include Hangzhou, Guangzhou, and Shenzhen. The list also includes 10 high-tech industrial development parks across the country. The cities and parks will formulate implementation plans before next February. China has set a goal of peaking carbon dioxide emissions by 2030 and achieving carbon neutrality by 2060. China and Angola have signed an agreement to facilitate and protect bilateral investment. Chinese Minister of Commerce Wang Wentao says the signing of the agreement is expected to enhance investor confidence on both sides and create a more favorable business environment. China and Angola are marking 40 years of diplomatic ties this year. The U.S. trade deficit rose to around 64 billion U.S. dollars in October, up over 5% from the previous month amid weak exports. U.S. consumers and businesses are facing higher interest rates as the country continues to tighten monetary policy in response to inflation. Meanwhile, U.S. employers posted 8.7 million job openings in October, the fewest since March 2021. Openings were 9.4 million in September. Layoffs were up modestly in October, and the number of Americans who quit their jobs was down slightly. Twitch will shut down its business in South Korea next year. The video service company says the network fees the company has been paying to South Korean internet operators were 10 times more than in most other markets. Twitch downgraded the quality of its video services in South Korea to a resolution of 720p from 1080p in September 2022, citing a need to reduce costs. 
Thank you very much. That was Do Hongyu. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, Man United beats Chelsea in a heavy Premier League battle. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related: the hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. It's 47 minutes past the hour. Turning to sports, here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Sui. Scott McTominay scored twice as Manchester United beat Chelsea 2-1 in a heavy Premier League battle. The Scottish midfielder scored in each half to move Eric Ten Hag's team within three points of the top four. But the manager says they could have done better. But not the frustration. In the end, we won. But we could have made our life much easier when you score three times in the first 30 minutes because I think we started very good, very proactive, very dynamic, very brave, and yeah, we create a lot of chances in that in that moment. Yeah, we could have、uh, go up with two or three goals. The win came at the right time for United, following unrest in the locker room, which prompted the club to bar some journalists from its pre-game news conference. Meantime, Manchester City saw its winless run extended to four games after a one-nil loss at Aston Villa. City was thoroughly outplayed as Villa made 22 efforts on goal and got the winner from a deflected shot by Liam Bailey. Villa has overtaken City into third place on the table. Liverpool spoiled manager Chris Wilder's return to Sheffield United with a 2-0 away victory, but the win was overshadowed with Joao Mendy's injury. The centre-back could be out for the season after rupturing his ACL in the game. Borussia Dortmund is out of the German Cup after losing 2-0 to Stuttgart, leaving the draw wide open. As none of the eight teams left has won the competition in the last 25 years, third-tier side Saarbrücken continued its dream run after knocking out Frankfurt. They had ousted Bayern Munich in the previous round. Bayer Leverkusen is now one of the only three top-tier clubs in the quarterfinals, following its 3-1 win over second division Paderborn. Leverkusen is having a 21-game unbeaten season, but Xavi Alonso's team was left with concerns over an injury to key attacking midfielder Florian Wirtz. In the Asian Champions League, Wuhan Three Towns drew one all with Puhan Steelers, ending its maiden journey in the Continental Club competition with a bottom ranking in Group J. Wuhan was elim- eliminated ahead of the match, while Puhan Steelers, with a winning streak of five games, had secured a slot in the top 16 teams. Jiang Zhipeng's pass to the penalty area forced an own goal from Puhan, but the South Korean side managed to equalize late in the second half through Hoji Lee's header. Bayern Munich is signing Spanish winger Brian Zaragoza from struggling La Liga team Granada with a deal set to go through in July. The German champion says the 22-year-old will sign a five-year contract at the end of the season. Reports say the deal involved an initial fee of 13 million euros plus possible add-ons. Zaragoza was influential in Granada, being promoted last season. He leads the Spanish league in dribbling this season and has five goals and two assists in 14 games. Now turning to the NBA, Luka Doncic registered a 29-point triple-double in the first half, and the Dallas Mavericks crushed the Utah Jazz by 50 points. Doncic finished with 40 points, playing only three periods, and passed Larry Bird in career triple-doubles. Oh,、uh, it's pretty amazing.、Uh, I don't know what to say, honestly. 
but we all know who Larry Bird was, so it's it's pretty it's pretty special. Another individual highlight saw Joel Embiid scoring a season-high 50 points and propelling the Philadelphia 76ers past Washington Wizards 131-126. The Golden State Warriors welcomed back Andrew Wiggins and Chris Paul from injuries and rallied in the final phase to beat the Blazers 110-106. The Los Angeles Clippers ended their eight-game losing streak to the Denver Nuggets in a night when Nikola Jokic missed 23 shots. In table tennis, Team China continued their dominance in the second stage of the ITTF Mixed Team World Cup by achieving their fifth straight win after they beat Chinese Taipei 8-1 on Thursday. Wang Chuqin and Sun Yingsha lost only game of Team China in their mixed doubles victory, and Chen Meng and Ma Long both made clean sweep in their singles outings. One day earlier, China sailed past the Slovakian 8-1. Japan also notched a lopsided victory, crushing Chinese Taipei 8-0. South Korea and Sweden also emerged victorious on Wednesday. And finally, Emma Raducanu will return to tennis and Auckland Open in January after eight months out of the sport. Raducanu, who pulled out of an exhibition event in China last month as a precaution, has not played since April and is currently ranked around 300 in the world. Reports say the 21-year-old has also signed up to the Australian Open entry list using her protected ranking of 103. However, that will not get her into the main draw, meaning she will either need to qualify or be awarded a wild card. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang coming up in culture and entertainment. Stamps and collectibles have been issued to mark the year of the dragon. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men: Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. It's 52 minutes past the hour, turning to culture and entertainment. China Philately has launched a series of postage stamps and collectibles to mark the coming of the Chinese New Year, the Year of the Dragon. Gold plates, silver coins, bracelets, and fur toys featuring a variety of dragon patterns are offered to attest to collectors of varying ages. Pop culture motifs such as minions and panghu, the cartoon tubby tiger, have also been integrated into the design of this year's collectibles. New issues also include an album of all the stamps of this year, an album of selected stamps over the past four decades. The new National Gallery Berlin, exhibiting its collection of art pieces in Beijing, that traces the evolution of European modern art in the 20th century. Gallery director Klaus Bensenbach, who will soon embrace the same role at the Museum of the 20th Century in Germany, is behind the project. Bensenbach is renowned for his transformative work as the chief curator at the Museum of Modern Art in New York, amongst a long list of other important roles. Leonie Zumer earlier spoke to him about his latest endeavor in the Chinese capital. Can you tell us a bit about the inspiration for this exhibition and how you decided on this theme to bring here to Beijing? So I think the exhibition here, Modern Time, it's not modern in a colloquial sense. It's not the time of now. It's a time of the 20th century. And I think that's an important distinction to make here. Modern times is really reflecting on the 20th century, and that was the reason that I, well, the only thing I really contributed to this exhibition curatorially, was to propose to install it 
completely chronological. For many people it's very different to differentiate between different styles or with different kind of gestures. But what you can judge and measure is time. You can, in the 20th century, say that 1901 was before 1902, was before 1903. I felt, especially thinking about the idea of history, especially in the 20th century, that it would be really beautiful to install this exhibition with the earliest work and then going back to the latest work. Since you've been to China so many times, what about Chinese culture inspires you or resonates with you personally? In so many different countries in the world, to go to the most obscure places, take trains, buses, boats. And I've done that with China a couple of times. I have done that with China, drove like five hours south of Shanghai, and I got out and it was all these beautiful bamboo agricultural and I remember here I was like in these bamboo groves and then I reached tea plantations and what I had before not realized is like in China very few people have really white hair and I think you only have really white hair when you're really really old so when I reached that tea plantation like somewhere in the outback not speaking any word I realized that people wanted to touch the white hair to see if it's real or does he wear a hat or whatever. And then when they realized it was real, I think I felt they were very worried. I was much too old to do such a long hike. What am I saying? I'm saying that I actually think there is a lot of empathy. Beautiful peace, even if you end up in a tea plantation, it feels very safe. That was Leonid Zumer speaking with Klaus Spensenbaugh, director of the new National Gallery Berlin. The National Board of Review in the United States has named Killers of the Flower Moon the best film of the year, adding to the early award season haul of Martin Scorsese's or such epic. We got to take back control of our home. The long-running organization comprised of film enthusiasts and academics also named Scorsese's back director and Lily Gladstone best actress. That follows recent honors for the film from the New York Film Critics Circle and the Gotham Awards. The group also honored the comedy drama The Holdovers, named Paul Giamatti as the best actor, along with awards for the best supporting actress and best screenplay. The director of the Legend of Zelda adaptation movie says he plans to make it a Hayao Miyazaki-style live-action film. Wei Bo says his vision for the Zelda movie is a story of a fantasy adventure, but not like the next Lord of the Rings, as fans have expected. Nintendo and Sony Pictures announced last month that they were joining forces for a movie based on the popular video games. Plot and casting details for the movie are still under wraps, although fans have been taking to social media to share their dream picks. One name that keeps popping up to play the title character is Hunger Games prequel star Hunter Schaefer. Let's have a quick check on the weather. Beijing is clear overnight with a low of minus 1. Tomorrow will be sunny with a high of 12. Chongqing is 9 this evening. Tomorrow cloudy with a high of 19. Lhasa is minus 3 overnight. Tomorrow overcast at 9. Hong Kong is 18 tonight and it will be cloudy tomorrow and 24. Elsewhere, Tokyo is 7 overnight, clear and 17 on Friday. Islamabad will be overcast and 7 tonight. Tomorrow, sunny and 20. Bangkok is 25 overnight, then cloudy and 33 on Friday. In Africa, Nairobi will see slight rain with a high of 26 tomorrow.
And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour Making News today. Chinese President Xi Jinping meets EU leaders in Beijing. Israel says it has encircled the house of a top Hamas leader. On behalf of the staff, this is Sui in the Chinese capital, hoping you will join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.